Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is the smart warehouse with my friend, Dan Gilmore. How's it going, Dan? Great, Joe. Very uh, happy to be here today. Yes, I'm glad I'm finally getting to interview you. So, Dan, please introduce yourself and your company, where you're calling from today. Yes, uh, this is, uh, again, Dan Gilmore. I'm a chief marketing officer of a supply chain software company called uh, Softion. We'll get into that maybe a little bit more in just a second here, but company's headquartered in Reston, Virginia, just outside Dulles Airport. I happen to be in the Dayton, uh, Cincinnati, Ohio area. Buckeye through and through, so uh, go Bucks. <laughs> Why? Well, I, I got to say go blue now, man. You dragged me down. <laughs> anyway, Dan, what does is, what is Softion do? Sure. Well, again, it's a supply chain software company, primarily supply chain execution. The company was founded in 1999. First customer all the way back then was uh, L'Oreal. And uh, just proceeded to, uh, you know, build out a suite of solutions, a very broad and deep uh, capability. So that includes uh, warehouse management systems, as I said, that uh, all the stuff that kind of goes around warehouse management systems, people package those differently, but things like labor and resource management, slotting optimization, yard management, uh, those kind of tools. And then a newer thing, which we'll get into today because it's so critical to what's happening in terms of the smart warehouse is uh, something called warehouse execution systems, which have been around for a while, but really gained prominence the last couple of three years as a way to optimize and orchestrate order fulfillment level, a uh, capability that's just beyond even very good tier one WMSs like Softion has. And then uh, this category of stuff called distributed order management, which has to do with the optimal sourcing product based on uh, c- customer commitments as well as uh, network capacities and constraints and how do I get the lowest cost uh, alternative that uh, that meets the customer needs. Very prominent in uh, omni-channel commerce. It's almost essential in retail, but we have a lot of B2B type uh, successes in distributed order management as well. So there's some other things, but uh, that gives you a pretty good flavor of what we do. So you guys started well before e- e-commerce was a thing. So you were you 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 still support stores uh, in that kind of warehousing? Sure. So I mean, in addition to traditional, you know, WMS type capabilities, uh, you know, and for retailers that would largely, you know, was store replenishment. You know, now moving in obviously to e-commerce fulfillment, but uh, many store many retailers are also looking to have a lot of activity at the store level, whether that's a buy online pickup in store, curbside pickup, or or store fulfillment. And so we've got some solutions there, both in terms of the distributed order management that I just referenced a second ago is the tool that's going to say, hey, the best place to fulfill this order from based on uh, you know time commitments, as well as inventory availability, labor availability, et cetera, is store three, four, five, six, seven, and then uh, have the ability. So first you identify where is the right location that could be obviously a DC or a third party third-party facility or something like that. But the first, where is the best place to source it from? And then if it's a store, you know, we have a, a store module that facilitates the inventory transactions, the picking transactions, and the shipping at a, at a store level. Yeah, that's became a thing. I mean, I know, like, I think Target's one of those companies that delivers a lot. If you buy something online from them, they're more likely to ship from their stores these days. Yeah, it's a huge percent. I've seen a figure, I don't and it keeps rising. Like eighty percent, ninety percent. Around eighty percent. That's the number I had in my mind too, that they're doing that from from stores, which is rather incredible. Yep. Well, before we get into all that, tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? And give us some career highlights and bullet points before you join Softion. 
Yeah, sure. So again, I've been pretty much except very early in my life an Ohio guy. Uh, my whole life, I grew up in the Akron, Cleveland uh, area, and then uh, got a job with NCR after grad school. I got an MBA from the University of Akron. I got a job at uh, NCR that was here in Dayton. I was a product manager, kind of in charge of barcode and data collection. And the way serendipity just kind of works, I you know moved from you know barcode data collection systems and you know wireless systems, and then got into WMS and uh, was a, into consulting for a while. So I've, I've actually I've done a lot of marketing this uh, this space. I was uh, also chief marketing officer at the Red Prairie before it got acquired by uh, JDA and became ultimately Blue, Blue Yonder. But uh, earlier in my life, I spent a couple of years uh, implementing WMSs, a couple of major projects down here in the Cincinnati area that uh, really helped me learn a lot about how the technology actually works and what's good and what's, what's less good. And then, uh, notably, I think in uh, 2003, I uh, started a publication called Supply Chain Digest, which really kind of changed the face of uh, kind of online uh, supply chain and logistics uh, news and coverage. And I still keep a light hand on that, actually write a column once a week still for Supply Chain Digest that uh, quite a few people read. Yes, I know. I have read that. It's funny. um, I did a lot of blog posts in the past. So when you a writer, I joke, my, my research is a little different than a professor's research. I Google and you start to realize which publications have good content <laughs> because I'm a blogger. It's the, the bar's a little lower for a blogger than it is for somebody writing in a publication. And I would just go, man, oh man, this is a good, supply chain digress has always had good stuff. So anyway, when, when and why did you join Softion? Yeah, it's been about four years now. And I had done actually a little bit of side consulting with Softion before uh, joining and uh, was just uh, impressed with two things. First off, just the breadth and depth of the of the software and, and a number of innovative capabilities. But uh, just as important to that, I mean, there's a lot of companies that got good software. We think we got leading edge software, but a number of companies out there. But it, really, just the approach to customers and success. So I've never seen a company that consistently put you know it, its own interests of you know behind those of its customers on a, on, a, on a regular basis and. Uh, and was just not going to let anything get in the way of a successful implementation. So, and that's a, that's really a track record that's unequaled in the marketplace. And so, just the uh, the care and concern for success at the customer level, and not looking at uh, everything through a lens of how many professional services hours I can sell or something like that. It's really just kind of a different attitude, and it really intrigued me. And plus, uh, the company needed some some help in the marketing area to get that message out. And so, a combination of those factors led me to join Softian. Excellent, excellent. Well, today's topic is the smart warehouse with my friend Dan Gilmore. So obviously things have changed quite a bit in this business. So talk about some of the big trends that are out there that are impacting warehousing and e-commerce and retail. It impacts everybody. <laughs> and these, these, you know, most of the audience is going to say they're living these. And so, you know, <laughs> like these are big surprises, but it's kind of nice to still put it all in, in, in you know, in context. So obviously, the, you know, the growing distribution labor shortage, I mean, there's shortage in manufacturing. Yes. Do it, very acute. And everywhere you go, that's what you hear about. And uh, just, you know, the turnover levels and the retention and, uh, you know, just unprecedented, even with the wages rising, uh, you know, substantially. So that, that's, uh, you know, everyone's, you know, concern. And so that is naturally, and actually after about a decade of very flat wage growth in warehousing and distribution until a few years ago, now all of a sudden, of course, the, the, uh, the costs are, are taking off. I mean, Amazon is over $20 an hour with attractive signing bonuses in many parts of the country, you know, maybe a couple, three months ago now. With parental leave for 20 weeks. I saw it on TV yesterday. Is that right? Now that I did not know that, that would be a very attractive benefit. I had not heard, heard that. 
And then at Target, you know, maybe two, three months ago, you know, announced that they were raising their uh, wage in both stores and uh, distribution centers in some markets, not all markets, but in some markets of $24 an hour. And you think, about well, that's $48,000 a year. So, uh, you know, and assume there's probably some overtime in there, right, whatever. So you get a husband and wife, just making up an example there, you know, working at a Target DC in those markets, you could be pulling in $100,000 a year right. for, you know, a family, which is, you know, not bad money. I could add something to that, Dan. I think also, and this has come up in my podcast a few times. If I had a choice right now, again, I'm getting too old for that kind of work, but I can't walk 10 miles a day. I think we need to make that job easier. We're going to get to that because this is what the technology does. But I think it also makes the job more attractive when they can say, I go to that job and I'm learning all this cool technology as opposed to I'm just a strong back. If you can bring somebody in, there's a different feeling when I get to wear all that high-tech gear and use high-tech systems and say, I'm part of the supply chain, as opposed to I'm just a strong back and I work walk five miles a day and nobody gives a damn about me. Yeah, there's no question about that. And, uh, you know, I think uh, it's going to be, you know, both in terms of uh, just the shortage of labor and second, just the ability to attract people into this career now it's just the whole market has, has changed. Uh, I think uh, that more high tech feel and touch and uh, less back breaking work and less bending over and lifting heavy cases and all the kind of things that uh, go on in work doesn't have for a long time. I think you're spot on on that, uh, on that uh, dynamic. And, and if we do have a shortage, that means the people we do have have to be more efficient. And the way they can be more efficient is with tech, of course. And we'll get it to some of that in a minute, but so that's one big what that's one big trend's going on. What's another big trend yeah, that's happening? Well, there's a bunch and they're kind of kind of interrelated as well. Obviously, you know, the e-commerce driven, you know, cycle time pressure. And so, you know, obviously led by Amazon over many years now that just keeps them. It's unbelievable how fast you can get product these days, even somewhat obscure products. I needed a, you know, not that long ago, I needed a new power cord for my HP computer. And somehow Amazon was able to deliver that, you know, the next day. I'm like, how does that have this cable someplace that they can get it to me in one day? I, I have, you know, think of all the, the, the thousands and thousands of cables that are out there and they've got mine. So, you know, the cycle time pressure and that, you know, both is in terms of, you know, getting the order process from when it drops into the DC and, and, and out the door. Obviously, companies are also moving uh, distribution facilities closer to the customer. So the transportation part or the parcel part of the uh, journey is cut down as well. I mean, I, I get both if you remember the specific numbers, but I think it's Home Depot is building 170, 180 different, uh, these local fulfillment centers that are going to be kind of like largely cross-dock uh, type of facilities and bring right. heavy, bulky items in and, and get them right to the customer. In addition to all the, you know, the big giant warehouses that uh, they already, they have. So, I mean, that's just a fact of life. I you know eventually I guess we'll, you know, teleport or whatever the product from the warehouse, because it seems like we're getting, reaching the laws, laws of physics there that it just can't be here any faster, but maybe Amazon and the others will, We'll find a way. So I remember um, probably five, seven years ago, I was working on a, a digital marketing project. I was helping this D- distribution center, nice, good size in Chicagoland, Peoria. And they said, we're 65, we're, we're one day shipping to 65% of the population of the U.S., and that was always what Indiana and Illinois and I guess there's so many DCs down in um, Ohio could always make that claim. And that was good enough. So if you're going to, you said, I have a DC in the Midwest, 
that can get me to the east and coast, and I've won out west, and that was good enough. We're not seeing that anymore. Yeah, I mean, we're going to get, you know, to increasingly, you know, where same-day delivery just becomes, uh, you know, a fact of life and uh, rather, you know, incredible. And, you know, you've heard Amazon and others talk about getting it down to, uh, you know, two hours or 30 minutes or, you know, whatever, again, just... Uh, well, that's what Target's just... doing not with those DCs. I mean, their DCs are their stores, and we think we'll get to Walmart doing some of the same. No question. So what's another what's another trend that you're seeing out there? Yeah, well, just because obviously we're calling this the, you know, the session, we're going to talk about the smart warehouse of the future, but it's largely here today. But, uh, you know, we, we got smart everything, right? So we've got, uh, you know, smart houses, we've got smart cars, we've got smart refrigerators, we've got smart toothbrushes even. I saw that a couple of years ago. I'm not sure if it's exactly taken off or not, but uh, monitoring how often you brush your teeth. But, uh, you know, what does that really meant? Well, primarily it's just talked about internet connectivity and sort of some kind of analytics around that. So, you know, easy example is, you know, John Deere or Caterpillar or companies of that kind, you know, putting sensors and other IoT type devices on their equipment out in the field. And so they can get a sense for how people are actually using it. They can do predictive, you know, maintenance on it. They can say, hey, your your guys aren't using the equipment as effectively as they could if they change their techniques, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, so I think, you know, it's certainly time. I mean, if we're going to have all those smart things, it's time for the smart warehouse too. But in, as we'll get into for the rest of the broadcast here, it's a lot different than just plain, you know, more internet connectivity and sensors and things like that that can be part of it but it's just you know just just a small part of it and uh, but the, but the but the bottom line of it is we are entering a new era of warehouse software technologies that are in fact much smarter than we've ever had before and i've argued publicly for a couple four years now that we really had about 20 years of relatively incremental progress in wms technology i i, I have used this in speeches before, but a few years ago, I pulled out, I was cleaning up my office around the holidays, as I often do, and I found an RFP from a major food company for a WMS uh, circa 2003. And I looked through that and I thought, you know what? This doesn't look all that different than the RFPs we're seeing in 2019 or 2020 or what, you know, whatever year I was looking at that. It really, you know, the big difference, as I looked at it, I said, the big difference is not in the functionality being asked for. It's just that today, a lot of that functionality is, in fact, you know, core product, configurable product, where back then maybe a lot of it had to be achieved, more of it had to be achieved through customizations. So I think that's probably true. But the, the you know, the fu fundamental way where us operates, you know, WMS operates didn't change all that much from 2000, give or take 2000 to 2020 or somewhere in that kind of a range. But now with the smart technologies that we're talking about, they're brought into bear by, by the warehouse execution systems, working with WMS I talked about before. This is a new ball game, and it's going to be fun for the rest of the discussion here to talk about that. So you threw in a new term there. <laughs> you said warehouse execution system. I know you said those have been around for a while, but they're now becoming kind of the the norm, did you say? Or did you say? Just becoming very prominent, and then the value starting to be recognized. So uh, it, 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 what it is it? Actually, yeah, a good while ago from a couple, couple, three companies really that had the belief, and I think correctly so for most WMSs, that the WMS systems did not care enough about equipment throughput and utilization. And so you wound up with you know, big peaks and valleys. And anybody's been in a distribution center, even a really busy one, you've seen it, where there's all kinds of activity at the beginning of the middle of the wave. And then as the wave starts to dissipate, you know, even on a big, expensive, huge uh, sortation system, you've got a relatively small number of boxes moving around, waiting for that wave, wave and everything to close out. And I, I think software was a bit different. When you say wave, does that mean these the orders come in waves? 
Yeah, the, well, the work is released in, in what are called pick waves, and, and that's that's based on any number of different attributes. It could be the carrier schedule or value-added processing that needs to be done or just workload balancing across uh, different pick areas of the company. So you you organize the work against various attributes that, that constitute a, a block of work that's typically referred to as a wave. Yeah, and the pro- so the problem is it's, I know I've got – all these trucks that are going to show up and they're taking different orders. And so, th- so maybe I'm working to that, to that order that's going to fill up that truck or orders that are going to fill up that truck. And the problem is to your point is we've got already a, maybe a shortage of headcount in there. And now when we have waves, I'm not being efficient because I've got too much work at one moment and then not enough at another. Yeah. And, and the, the whole goal of WS and what we're going to talk about today with the smart warehouse is, is really uh overcoming, you know, I mean, obviously you got to plan and execute based on the, the workforce that you have here today. We'll talk about that. So just getting, just having a warehouse management system that gives me stuff was, was great in the past, but you're saying I'll help you with a WES or warehouse execution system. I'm going to help you manage the flow. Man, manage the flow of work and, and the resource utilization. So that that's exactly right. And uh, in, in just new ways. And, uh, you know, part of that still ties into that, that interest in level loading or, or making the flow of goods across an automation system more smooth and consistent. Because if you can do that, a couple of things. First off, the total throughput of the system is likely to be better. Uh, and second, if it's a uh, if it's a, a, a new facility, you could actually probably get by with you know a smaller sorter, if you will, because you're going to be able to u- utilize that sorter more consistently over a, a block of time, a shift, or however you want to look at it there. So. Uh, uh, and 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 the the other kind of breakthrough that Softion has had is that the WES, while it has its roots in that level loading of the automation and better utilization there, uh, the WES works extremely well even in non-automated facilities or lightly automated facilities. As a matter of fact, uh, one of our leading customers, I'm not sure I can say their name, so I'm not going to, but actually did a press release uh, a couple of years back that talked about a 50% productivity gain from implementing WES, the warehouse execution systems, on top of an existing software on WMS and doing that in a totally manual environment. And so that maybe right. you know, caused some, because, you know, everything is part of a system, right? And so you can have a, a, a sortation system or you can have a goods to person system or put wall system or whatever. It's got certain capacity, certain uh, throughputs, certain inputs and outputs, whatever. Well, you know, 20 workers walking around on a three-level, you know, case pick module, they're a system too. And they have inputs and outputs and throughput and, and expectations and all of that. You know, the one big difference is that with a more manual system, you can actually throw more bodies at it and in, in up to a point of diminishing returns, uh, you know, get gain throughput from that area. Whereas a heavily automated system, kind of its rate is its rate and you're not going to do a whole lot to, you know, affect that. But this is what, when you mentioned throughput, I mean, throughput is everything, whether you're a plant or whether you're a, a freight broker or whether you're a, a warehouse, the stuff that goes out the door, the stuff that we can actually charge for is what we want to do. So having a warehouse management system is great. Obviously, that was a big, by the way, I, I know there's certain warehouses, old, old, old ones still don't even have that. But you're saying to really be as efficient and effective as you need to be in today's market you need a warehouse execution system that gets me the flow, gets me that throughput. Yeah, I mean, it, it may not be for everybody. And there are certain things you can do where you could take a core WMS and just add some select you know, capabilities from a full-blown WES 
if you know only a you know a, a modest or you know I'll, I'll call it a modest level of that kind of automation is necessary. So it's not necessary for, for everyone, and I don't want to position it that way. But it's certainly something that you want to take a look at. Uh, Big boys need it. <laughs> yeah, certainly as you as you get to where you've got a you know significant number of workers, but even even you know smaller operations, things like you know the automated release of work to the floor without the human being need, needing to be involved, that's going to be attractive even for you know a, a mid-sized operation for sure. So. First thing we need is we need to get into this. It's a WMS. That's a given. And you said that there is an incremental improvement for many years. Now you're starting to see big improvements, maybe driven by the market that needed big improvements in recent years. And part of that is this WES. What else is there that part of that smart warehouse? Yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff. Let me just first, just uh, you know, as a reminder of the automation, because automation is, you know, obviously that ties to the labor shortage. And, um, you know, even just a couple of years ago, you know, it was very common to, to uh, talk to uh, DC managers or logistics executives and automation wasn't necessarily very high on the radar. Today, almost close to 100% of the companies we talk to, <laughs> even smaller companies are looking at automation of some kind. Now that could be big automation where you've got, you know, traditional sortation systems, but can be very large. Goods, goods to person systems, um, those kind of things. But it, uh, there's also a lot of interest in in lighter, more flexible and less expensive technology, things like what are called put walls and huge interest in automated uh, autonomous. What's a put wall? Okay, so a put wall in great simplicity is a, is a structure, uh, a t- technique built on a, a structure, which is a module with a series of cubby holes or slots and I could have one of these modules. I could have, we have one customer that has 80 of these modules. And what you do is you pick the orders. And then when you come to the put wall, you distribute the order to the to, to the picks, excuse me, to the different orders that need that product. Uh. So I batch pick the product. I bring it either mechanically or manually to the put wall. And typically a series of lights says, okay, this cubby wall number three here needs one of this SKU put one in. This one needs two of that skew, put two in. This one needs one, put one in. And that process repeats itself until all of the items for a given order are complete within that cubby hole. And then on, at that point, a uh, and that's called putting. Into, that's why it's called a put wall. It's called you're picking the order in batch, then you're putting it into the put wall. And then around the backside, lights will turn on that indicate this cubby hole is now complete. And the operator comes up and touches a button typically. And that starts the printing of the label and any uh, shipping documentation that's required. And the order is packed and shipped and, and off you go. So it provides a tremendous amount of productivity, uh, very flexible. You can start small. We had one customer that started with one put wall module, then added eight or nine more because they liked it. Then they added 20 more because they really liked it. Did this all over a couple, three-year type of period there. So for any kind of piece picking, especially of soft goods, but other product types of products as well, but often driven by e-commerce, but not only by e-commerce, but any kind of heavy piece picking operation, put walls can be a great solution, but you got to have the right software to do it. So you've got that big, like almost a shelf. And you said like cubbies on that, that I push. So I'm putting product through. So I got to put, so maybe I walked over and I got 10 different sweater, 10 sweaters that are all the same. And this cubby gets one, this cubby gets one. And, and as I do that, I'm, I'm scanning it or, or it's recognizing that that it's in there, and it's informing the other side of the cubby that when the order is complete, when the order is complete. So maybe it needs two sweaters and a pair of shoes, and that's that's correct. That's correct. that's correct. Yeah. So that's just one more way. I mean, what do you call this? Is that part of 
that's not super. The, the technology is only part of it. The uh, the other piece of the cubby, the walking up to that, that's kind of, I could be putting those in bins in the old days, but this is this is putting that on steroids. <laughs> yeah, it's just a, just a new way of doing it. And there's a lot of, we'll talk about this actually in terms of, you know, optimizing materials handling systems, because to get this right is not a trivial task. Uh, and I don't want to steal all my thunder from later on, but, uh, you know, the, ter- the, the ability to rapidly turn these put walls, these these cubby holes is the whole key to the success of it. It's taking you a long time to do that. You're not getting the throughput that required and probably wasting your time and money. But if you can rapidly turn those by making sure the inventory gets there on time and efficient execution at the wall on both sides of the wall, then you got something that uh, really can drive a lot of productivity. We've got, I don't know what the number is, quite a few customers now that are using foot walls. And, you know, when we go out to some new customers, we've got some videos that show them an operation and they can, you can tell they're just, you know, really, really interested in seeing how this works. And uh, I think it's the technology, along with the mobile robots, that you're just going to see uh, for any kind of e-commerce, but any kind of piece picking as well. As well, You're going to see a lot of adoption going forward. I can say this, I'm, I'm an automotive guy originally. When you used to go through a plant, you would see people doing lifting heavy things when I first started and crouching down and doing functions that were hard on the body. And maybe it's not hard on one day or one week but or one month, but over one year, you're going to have a bad back or bad shoulders or bad knees. Same thing happens in these DCs or the warehousing. So this automation you're talking about is making it easier on the workers, which means hopefully I'll be able to keep my workers healthy and uh, make that job, again, more attractive. Yeah. I, I one time, just quick anecdote, I one time talked to a VP of logistics at, uh, I think it was Sherwin-Williams, the paint company. And uh, he noted that the, on the manufacturing side of the operation, they were always having people retire and, uh, you know, retirement, you know, little parties for them with some cake right. and whatever. He said there was no one that ever retired from the distribution side. And that's because uh, the heavy work of p- picking cases of paint uh, is a young man's job. And so as, as, uh, as people got older, they just couldn't do that work anymore. So I think people are obviously rethinking that for, for the aging population is another factor. But, you know, how do I how do I make the work easier so I can have somebody in their 50s and 60s uh, continuing to do this uh, distribution center job? I think also, Dan, again, I've said this once before on my podcast, probably twice before on my podcast. If you gave me a choice to go work in an old school warehouse or go deliver food or deliver groceries, I'm going to do the grocery delivery. I think I can make decent money and I can sit in my car and I, I don't have to hurt my back or hurt my knees or walk five miles a day. So it, we have to make these jobs more attractive or we're not going to be able to keep and, and get good people. Yeah, there's no question about that. And, uh, I, you know, I think uh, with these this automation that is of such interest, uh, the jobs now, they become more like a technician and less of an order picker. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> so besides a put wall, what's some other automation you're seeing out there? Well, again, I said the automated mobile robots, autonomous mobile robots, or AMRs. Uh, there's a huge uh, interest in that. One of the interesting things is that uh, both put walls and uh, mobile robots, you're seeing a lot of adoption and interest by uh, third-party logistics companies. And I think this really just makes the point. You know, in the past, 3PLs were very reluctant to do any kind of heavy automation because they couldn't sync the return on investment with the contracts that they had from the uh, from the shipper. So, if, you know, if the shipper if, you know, to pay off that equipment is going to take five, seven, you know, whatever years, and the shippers only can keep you a two or three year contract, the risk of automation is just too great. Well, these other kind of systems, and that includes also things like voice and pick to light, smart cards, things like that. They're all kind of connected in some ways. But uh, those kind of systems can be put in for much less expense, much lower risk, and, and again, be incrementally adapted. You can start with 
three mobile robots and see how you like it. And then, you know, add seven more later on or whatever until you get to the, to the optimal point for your operation. But, you know, the fact that 3PLs are making this kind of investment is a whole new phenomenon. It just be, speaks to the, uh, the way you can incrementally get into the technology and the high level of payback that they're seeing because we, we're very strong in the third-party logistics arena, just as an aside, so we're seeing it very closely. And, um, you know, the number of 3PLs that are interested in these kind of mid-range or lighter picking systems, you know, not heavy automation, but 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 other, it's often somewhat newer technologies, I think really bespeaks to, to uh, the changes we're seeing out there in, in the marketplace. Yeah. And by the way, those uh, robots, you know, depending on the facility, they're not necessarily always replacing people. Because I, I talked to the guys from, I think it was the CEO or the president from DHL, he said that, he says, well, we thought we would be replacing people with robots. He goes, the more robots we add to a facility, the more work we end up getting for that facility, and we end up hiring more people. Yeah, and, and you know, it's just, the, there, everyone has a shortage, right? So, I mean, there's jobs going unfilled. So if the robots are taking some of that slack, if you will, but but uh, you hear very few, if any, case studies of people adopting these technologies and are, are having people out there. They're still looking for people even after the automation. So, yep. So, what's another thing we need for that smart warehouse, Dan? Well, I mean, now let's just kind of get into it in some more detail. So, really, I mean, we talked about some of the core, you know, software components, if you will, you know, things like warehouse management systems, warehouse execution systems, uh, you know, a platform for integrating, you know, these, these automation, both heavy and, and uh, or traditional and newer age capabilities. We'll talk about that in just a second. And then there's some enabling technologies, things like uh, rules engines and, and uh, simulation and, and some other things. So, you know, we'll talk about that. But, you know, I, I like to say that, you know, the core, uh, you know, the core warehouse operations excellence is still the foundation, right? And so, you know, how do, how do I get that right? And um, that, that typically involves, you know, traditional WMS type capabilities. So, what does that mean? Well, I mean, the, what kind of defines a warehouse management system versus an inventory system is, you know, the pervasive use of mobile terminals and, you know, barcode scanning, you know, wireless wireless RF devices or whatever term you want to use there. And then some, you know, a lot of system directed activity and this whole notion of task management and task monitoring uh, where the system kind of is, is orchestrating the, uh, the different traditional tasks of put away, receiving put away, picking, replenishment, you know, et cetera. Uh, and support for multiple strategies around that. I want to have lots of different picking method options. I want to have lots of different uh, replenishment strategies that I can use. I can use. And then, you know, things that have been around for a while, like, a, a, you know, a slotting optimization and uh, detailed labor management, labor reporting, things like that. So the foundation, you know, really is core operations excellence. That's what everyone should strive to get to. But today there's now ability to take that even further in terms of different types of capabilities that, that we think are defining what we're calling the smart warehouse. Yep. And you used a term there that was integration platform. What am I integrating? Yeah, you're integrating, you know, pr- primarily different materials handling technologies, you know, so that, you know, can be, you know, things we've had for a while, like conveyor transport and sortation. It can be some of these newer technologies like robots and uh, and uh, uh, pull walls. But the key really is, and again, we'll talk about this in just a second here, but the key really is how do I optimize the flow you know, so I don't have these islands of uh, automation. They're all doing their own thing. I recently talked to a uh, somebody in the apparel industry, and uh, they have a very large and highly automated facility, I think somewhere down in the Atlanta area, like a million or two million square feet. And they're seeing their throughput from that building after huge investments over years, certainly initially and then over time. They're seeing the throughput actually decline. And what's happening, he believed, 
is that business keeps changing. They keep having all these new requirements in terms of how an order needs to be processed. And what they do is they just keep building new wave types. We talked about wave planning before. Now they're up to like 70, 80 different wave types. And every time there's another problem, wave type number 82, if that solves our problem, that's not solving the problem. And part of the reason is because they're not, the system is not looking holistically across the facility and seeing how I can optimize the flow of work as a, as a whole, not as an individual subsystem. And I think that's really part of what we're talking about here with the smart warehouse. And that's the kind of thing that traditional WMSs, you know, have not, have not done. Yeah. So that integration platform, that means I can connect all my, all my, so all the tools, all the different systems I'm using all connect easily through that integration, as opposed to the old way, which is a, a standalone hundred thousand dollar integration with expensive people who, uh, <laughs> who have to code. Yeah, that 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 that's certainly part of it, and then it's it's managing the flow of work, uh, you know, across that. So I'm maybe getting ahead of myself again, but I'll just say, for example, you can have uh, uh, some scenarios where I have different paths for an order to be fulfilled. So one of the paths and the most efficient for certain kinds of orders is, in fact, maybe a, a group of of put wall modules. But let's say you know that that put wall area starts for whatever reason starts to be congested and all of a sudden now there's a big backup on the conveyor feeding into the put wall area well the system is going to automatically recognize that and for some period of time route orders away from the put wall into manual cart packing which takes them to the packing station same packing area where the put wall ultimately leads uh, and then when the congestion is clear then auto the system automatically reroutes that work back to the put walls again and that's so so now you're looking not only at, at the, the, the plane integration but actually in, in monitoring the flow of work that's happening and making real-time decisions accordingly. Yep. You know, I'm an automotive guy, and we had all of those years where we started, we used the term smart factories. And it was just the same thing. How do we increase throughput? Because what can happen is you can end up with a local optimum where some guys are building a big, big stack of inventory and does nobody any good. I, well, what is all that excess inventory doing for me, right? And what makes more sense is to say, we're going to get this so there's a flow to it and we're not building up too much inventory. There's no bottlenecks. And I think this is kind of the same thing you're talking about here is how do I arrange my people so I don't have these guys sitting around because they already finished while these guys are, you know, to your point, congested area. Yeah, no, and, and, that, and that's really, you know, the term flow manufacturing came out of exactly what you're talking about there and was largely developed uh, initially, you know, in the automotive industry. And so we're talking about the same thing, or now we're talking about flow distribution instead of flow manufacturing. But the fundamental concepts, more of a pull-based system, more being aware of capacities and constraints, more concerned with the total flow of, of, of goods, not what's happening at one individual uh, area. All those are very consistent, whether you're looking, you know, the, the principles that were established earlier in manufacturing or what's being applied here today in distribution. Right. And I'm just going to assume that at one time, the WMS, a big selling point would be, we'll tell you where your inventory is at. And that was probably a big step up, right? But today you go, of course it does that. <laughs> now I'm going to tell you how that inventory moves off of your shelves and out the door and how you bring new inventory in. Yeah, we, we it's amazing. We still see quite a few. I mean, every week we see somebody that's uh, calling or emailing in and then we talk to them and it turns out they don't have that real-time visibility to the inventory because they're using some kind of paper-based system or something. Uh, so it's amazing. And sometimes these are even good sized companies. But in general, yes, you're right. Certainly anybody that's implemented, uh, you know, any kind of a, a tier one, a tier one or tier two level, even WMS 
you know, should be having that real-time inventory visibility and, and, and doing that, you know, and that gets into that operations excellence I'm talking about. That's the foundation, right? I got to know what I got and where it is by lot, by batch, by serial number, by whatever attribute is important for your operation or combination of attributes or whatever. So, the, you know, that's, that's the foundation. But now we're saying, okay, how do we, how do we optimize on top of that to just get more product out the door at lower cost? Yeah, it, it requires investment. I mean, it doesn't, having a WMS tells me here's information, but it's not enough anymore to your point is we need all of this to get there. Yeah. And that's where kind of, you know, you asked me about some of the components of the smart warehouse. I and mean, I talked about it from a kind of a product category perspective, but now I'm talking about it more from a, you know, almost philosophical or, or functional sort of, you know, uh, idea. And, you know, one of the things is, you know, one of the key foundations is that constraining condition you know, awareness, what's happening in my building, what's happening with the flow of goods. One of the things that I first really, you know, got me to understand WES in a, in a deeper way is this notion that it's always on listening and monitoring the environment. So if you think about a traditional WMS, it's more sequential oriented. I, I receive product in, I put it away, I replenish pick sites, I do the picking, I take it to packing or evaluated services, I put it in this receiving staging, I get it, or shipping staging, I get it out the door. All very good. And then we and delivered a lot of companies don't have that and and and, and organizing all of that and, and automating, if you will, that is, is a big step forward. But we need to take it to the next level. So if you think about this notion of the system is always on monitoring you know throughput and flow. Okay. And so there's certain rates and certain uh, uh, throughput that I'm expecting. So I need to be able to have a flexible set of dashboards supported by, uh, you know, uh, event alerts and notifications that there's a problem that says, here's what's happening across any, however I want to define it in the area. I can define uh, an area as a case picking modules as a whole three level case pick module. I see that as one unit and I want to know what the throughput is there. Maybe I want to see it at each level of that pick module so I can see it more granularly. So what's really nifty about this is that that new level of visibility, the activity and throughput and, and, and bottlenecks and, and alerts and corrective action automated, increasingly automated if there are bottlenecks. But, you know, that provides a, you know, a nice set of real-time dashboards. It's really cool looking stuff that people can see what's happening. I have this many orders pending. Here's how many have been completed or here's how many are in-picking or all, all of that kind of, you know, real, real level of detail. But what's what to understanding what's going on here with the smart warehouse is the system is using that same data that's being exposed to uh, managers and supervisors. That's what it's using to make decisions as well. It's, and I cited that example of being aware of the backup that's happening in the put wall and automatically for some period of time routing work around that until the congestion is cleared. So that's what's really kind of different now about this kind of visibility and this kind of activity monitoring and being able to flexibly do that at however you want to again define processing area could be evaluated services, it could be piece picking, you know, all these things. And and obviously now the design is that these different flows throughout the facility are in sync. Okay. Right. I'm, I'm not getting all backed up in packing, which is causing problems way back in picking and replenishment. Okay. Because I haven't automated the visibility and I haven't automated the, the, the flow of release in a way that's going to be cognizant and aware that I've got a problem here. And here's what I need to be, do about it for some period of time until it corrects itself. We're suggesting we're just taking action to, to solve the problem by itself. You know what? You, uh, you sent me a PowerPoint and I have this uh, up here and it's got that real-time configurable dashboards. And one of the things that always drives me crazy going to warehouses, well, it's been it's been a while since I've seen like uh, somebody had me a piece of paper, but somebody had me a piece of paper that had like 40 columns and these little, it was like an Excel spreadsheet or something. It may be a spit out of a system. I don't know. 
but it had so much. And I looked at it, I was like, I, what am I supposed to do with this? I'm like, I, I, I like the idea of like being able to configure it for those KPIs that I care about. I don't want to measure everything. That's just me. Tell me the four or five or seven things that really matter that tell me my my uh, warehouse is moving in the right direction, that things are working well. And I see also, I'm just looking at in here, it says orders with issues. I also love the idea that I don't find out about the issues in next week's report. I find out about them real time. Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. And and then, you know, the, the point, you know, that you made it actually kind of a nice uh, transition to this notion of another component. We talked about the real-time visibility to capacities and constraints and conditions out there and then the always-on nature of the of the WES. But now I also, we talked about looking at a, a table of 40 rows of information or whatever, what do I do? I think that that is... <laughs> and it's, and all, it's all in the past too. It's, it's in the past, but I think, you know, I think it brings up a point there, which is, you know, today, even with high-end, higher-end WMSs, there's, this is one of the learnings and insights that we have. There's still a tremendous amount of decision-making that is being done by human beings. And so just as the manager, whoever you were talking about there in your example, you know, is staring at a 40-row spreadsheet or whatever, that's the same. You see, you see the same thing today of managers and supervisors staring at computer screens, trying to figure out what the right thing to do is next. And here's the reality. Every time you do that, you would, first off, you introduce some latency into the system because it takes time to look at those different screens and to think about it and to make decisions and scribble some things down on a piece of paper to remind you this needs to be taken care of or whatever. Okay. And then simply, in most cases, there's no way a human being can make the optimal decision in the same way that a computer can because, you know, even if you're a really smart guy or gal, you know, there's just too much data, too much to try to process at one time. And so part of the capabilities of the smart WMS is the much more advanced software-based decision-making. And so things like order batch optimization, how, 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 how given a given block of orders, what's the best way to most effectively execute that out on the software floor? What we think is, is absolutely huge is this notion of the autonomous warehouse. That's a term Gartner has used, others have used it as well. But it talks about being able to automatically release work you know, without the need for a wave planner or uh, inventory expediters or all the kind of people that you see often involved in, in these kind of decisions about what work to do when. So, you know, work is released on a variety of attributes, you know, things like, you know, the order priority, the inventory and resource availability, what kind of optimization opportunities are there? You know, the, the bigger the order pool, the more optimization opportunities you have because there's just more, more, more data to be optimized, conditions to be optimized. But also you've got, you know, but you can't hold on so long that you're not getting the, the, the throughput out the door. Carrier cutoff time. This is a huge one. I mean, even it's sophisticated warehouses today, at four o'clock or five o'clock when the UPS or the FedEx or whatever truck is leaving, you often see, and we've made commitments via e-commerce is going to ship today. You see a certain amount of chaos going around trying to figure out if all the orders that need to go on that truck have been on the truck and, and what to do about it. With what we're talking about here, we're saying, look, hey, listen, we know this is the work. We know how long it's going to take to pick and transport that work, uh, th- those orders, you know, to, 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 to the shipping dock or whatever. So the work is going to automatically release itself at the beginning of the day we're more concerned about optimization. We still got a lot of, you know, decent amount of time so we can focus on doing it the most efficient we can. But as you go throughout the day, that needle starts to change from the focus on efficiency and, and cost to efficiency on customer service and making sure those items are on there. And the system just does that automatically. It's configured to, to, to take those into, 
in, into consideration. And so now those orders are getting on the trucks automatically without the chaos and without the, the right. just the difficulty that's going on out there. This is just whole new, this is step change capability here. I mean, we're talking about a system that's kind of self-learning and optimal on how releases work. And this is just a, not a concept we've had in distribution software before. And this is what really is, what defines what we're calling the smart warehouse. Yeah, and it, it's interesting. I had a boss in the past when I was young and I remember I sent an Excel spreadsheet with him to him and it told a story and I sent it to him and he's pulled me in his office. He says, Joe, this is a great Excel spreadsheet. He says, so I have to go through here and I have to come to the same conclusion you did. I go, well, it's easy. You just look at it. And he goes, no, no, no. He goes, when you send me this Excel spreadsheet, send me a recommendation. I don't want to have to come to a conclusion. That's your job. Show me, you can attach the data and back up, but give me a recommendation. And I feel the same way about running a warehouse. Don't make me figure it out myself. <laughs> give me give me an alert that says this is a problem. Say this is how many orders are at risk, right? This is how many orders need to get on that truck that aren't done yet. Give me that. <laughs> and just to show you, you know, it's a simple example, you know, still a lot of people, especially for e-commerce are doing, you know, manual cart picking. So I may have a cart that's got a certain configuration, three by three or four by four. What I mean by a three by three would be three shelves that each have room for one, three cartons each, right? So I have nine total orders that I'm, I'm working on there. Well, you know, most companies that we see do that today, they're doing it with paper picking or pick by label or something. There's some attempt to do that more efficiently, but just something as simple as cart picking, this smart warehouse can take it to a whole new level. So first off, you've got, again, as I said, this order pool that's out there and at any one period of time. And now, you know, I'm I'm probably going to have done some cartonization logic there to determine what should go in what box, especially with a multi-carton order. If you're shipping, you know, just for example, you don't want to put perfume in the same carton as a uh, as apparel because of the obvious, you know, whatever the right word is there, contamination, you know, that, that, that can happen there. But, you know, now somebody comes up, a picker comes up and and uh, scans a, a barcode on that cart. You know, the system's going to automatically know it's this configuration, you know, three by three, four by four, whatever. And it will have done some optimization, uh, typically in terms of what's called cluster picking, where I'm going to take that cart to one location and then it's I'm, I will have put you know as many orders as I can on the cart that signed to that cart that have the same set of SKUs on, so I can minimize my travel distance. Hopefully, I'm being clear on what that means. So now I get to the uh, I get to that location. It says, and this can be done with lights or it can be done with barcode scanning. It says, okay, take you know one of these from this location, put it in carton slot three one, which is the third shelf, the first location. The next one is three, two. The next one is two, three. The next one is two, one, whatever, whatever that sequence is, right? And so I'm doing that in a way that makes it, you know, very, very, you know, efficient. But we can take it even still beyond that. So what if a high priority order comes on? The picker is walking along. As long as there's a location on that cart, whether it's a carton or a tote they're picking into, if it hasn't been started, we can remove automatically a lower priority order and insert a higher priority priority order that has just come down onto that cart, as long as we would typically do it so the picker doesn't have to turn around and go backwards, as long as those picks for the new order are ahead of that picker, okay? And we do that with the without the picker even being aware that it happened. Yeah, so you can kind of expedite automatically, like, hey, I got a truck that's going to be here an hour. We haven't even started yet. Let's get this going. Yeah, or, or, you know, or just I've made a, you know, I've made a customer, you know, it's one, we say if you get an order in by two o'clock, we'll ship it that day and it's 158 and all of a sudden an order just drops, right? 
I got two minutes, <laughs> you know, or whatever, yeah. you know, to do this. So this, this is going to automatically, you know, I, uh, uh, insert a higher priority order, you know, where, where, where possible, uh, you know. I like something you said in there that we talked about the labor problem with these guys walking around maybe five, 10 miles in a day. And one of the reasons we're going to quit, especially if you're, especially if you're me, I'm not, I don't walk that many steps. If you can optimize. So when I walk over there, all my orders are in the same area. Then I walk over here and all my orders are there as opposed to one order on one side of the warehouse, another order on the other side where I'm walking and go, what the hell has my life become where I walk back and forth like this? Yeah. And, and, you know, again, mostly too. That gets into the you know order pool optimization as well because you know the bigger the batch that I'm working with, the more opportunities I have to gang those picks together. So on a given card, I'm maybe walking very you know very few feet. And then you know this you know just to your point, I mean this is where you get into the whole notion of mobile robots and whatnot too. Because now perhaps that uh, I go to the pick location, I pick the order, but I'm instead of putting it on a pick card, I'm putting it on a mobile robot, and the mobile robot's going to move on to the next location or on to packing if the order is complete or whatever. And so, you know, I'm walking very little at that point or comparatively little, which is obviously one of the attractivenesses of the of the mobile robot technology. So this again, so this is uh, hopefully it's becoming coming clearer. This is, you know, the nature of the warehouse is changing. And uh, part of that's going to have to be to not only be more cost efficient and get more out the door with the with the staff that I've got, but it's it's making sure that people have a less miserable work experience and uh, and hence are hopefully going to stay with us a lot longer. Man, this is not your grandpa's warehouse anymore. And I think to be competitive, it, it used to be like, wow, these are, guys are high tech because they have a WMS. And now we're starting to spend on the automation and the, the, the warehouse execution and the integration platform. This is all getting really high tech. And you think this is probably the lowest tech business there was 25 years ago. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's just, in, you know, inevitable. And how is that all going to play out? It's going to be interesting to see. But uh, again, I think these lighter automation techniques, uh, including the robots and the, and the put walls are just uh, so attractive in terms of their flexibility and expandability. And, uh, and now when you add, you know, and there's, there's we'll maybe talk about a little bit about this, but there's machine learning and artificial intelligence, all kinds of things going into you know, involved here. And so, yes, the warehouses are becoming uh, technology centers. And if you see the kind of private equity money that's flowing into robotics firms and AI firms and, and others, uh, obviously a lot of the, the, the smart money, I think that's where it's headed to. Well, and also I think companies are starting to realize, retailers and other e-commerce companies are starting to realize the importance of a real well-run warehouse. What is those guys? Quiet Logistics. They got bought by American Eagle. That was American Eagle recognizing, and there's a traditional retailer that's saying, we're going to buy ourselves a warehousing company because that's how important this business is. Yeah. And of course, uh, Quiet was actually the uh, the force behind what has become Locust Robots, one of the big... Uh, that's right. <laughs> robo mobile vendors that happened because Amazon had bought uh, a Kia Syst- a Kiva Systems uh, right before that and kind of left quiet with without a partner for automation that they were building the business on. So they went up and invented their own robot. So, yeah. Yeah, that's that's right. Bruce Welty was on my podcast. He's the founder of Quiet. And he said, I don't know when, a long time ago, he got a phone call saying, hey, you guys using those Locust robots? And he says, yeah. How do you like them? We like them a lot. And uh, they said, can we come visit? 
sure. It was Amazon. Amazon looked around, said, we love this. They bought Locus. <laughs> it stopped supporting. Oh, no. That was the other one. Was, was that Kiva? I'm taking it back. It was Kiva. A couple other things I'd like to just, uh, you know, bring up about the smart warehouse. First is, you know, broader use of some, you know, auto ID-ish or IoT type of devices. So, um, you know, RFID is starting to make something of a comeback, you know, years after the Walmart tobacco in 2003 or 2004 or whatever. But uh, certainly there's, I think, you're going to see many manual scanning activities that are going to disappear, you know, as, as RFID moves its way back now from being implemented at the store level by customers concerned with e-commerce fulfillment for inventory accuracy purposes, you're going to see it move back up into the, into the distribution operations. And so I think that will certainly be, uh, be, be part of it. IOT. I mean, we were already doing things today. Like for example, we're a clicker with a pick cart. We have it's a, internet of things. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, correct. Uh, obviously. Um, so a picker with a pick cart can walk up to a, uh, a, a pick zone and the IOT automatically recognizes it's this cart with this person on it. And so it automatically turns on the lights, the pick lights that are on those forward pick locations. And it's a minor thing there, but that's just kind of, uh, you know, advancement uh, we're going to see. And, you know, we've even done some stuff with, you know, kind of congestion management and COVID or whatever, where we can actually tell exactly where somebody is in the aisle using IOT and uh, being able to assign work based on a real-time visibility to, you know, who's actually closest to that work, but also in the COVID area, being able to, to space people apart so that they don't get, say, within eight feet of each other or whatever that happens to be, whatever your metric you want it, want it to, to do, uh, to use uh, there for that like, uh, constraint. So there's some very interesting things that can happen there. And, you know, this is still kind of slow going. It hasn't taken off as fast as many people think, but I think you're going to see RFID and IoT start to make some real inroads over the next three years or so. And then uh, we have this notion of, um, or follow the notion of Gartner and what's considered to be called con con conversational voice. So transactional voice is doing a picking or a, a pallet build or something using voice technologies and typically, you know, uh, reading in a check location, check digit and uh, some of those kind of things and, and, and doing a hands-free pick or replenishment or whatever the task might be. But we're starting to get, you know, now into more, you know, of a dialogue. So we're already to the point now where we can have a supervisor take a smartphone and say, hey, show me how I'm doing on wave number 235 or whatever. And over a smartphone, uh, that's going to bring back exactly what's happening now or, you know, where's the replenishment for location 3652 or whatever. So we're still early in this game here, but certainly a move to more of a a dialogue going on with the uh, with the WMS and WES than uh, just plain uh, transactional voice type technology. We think this is very exciting and where the future interface of, of the software is going to really head. Yeah. And this is where that integration platform you talked about comes in handy. So I can connect to all this stuff. The new, the new, the new killer app that comes out, I can get it. <laughs> Yeah. And, and, you know, we've been a lot there. So, you know, you know, auto, automation and optimization of, you know, materials handling systems is, is certainly a key part of this. I mean, we really refer to it not just as the smart warehouse of the future, but actually the smart automated warehouse of the future due to the interest in uh, the, the technologies we've talked about several times already today. And so, you know, we, we can directly connect with these picking subsystems like walls, like pick to light, like voice, like whatever, without the need for third-party software, everyone else uses some kind of software from the put wall vendor or from the pick to light vendor or from the voice vendor, whatever, adds another layer of integration, adds another layer of cost, and it often results in people operating in kind of silos. So we can directly control a lot of these uh, 
materials handling technologies and allows you to, to operate those and optimize those in the context of everything that's happening in the world and all the information that's available, which just provides you a lot of, of benefits um, over time. Because again, you're not just trying to uh, operate in silos. Uh, I talked to somebody that was using a Pictolite system the other day, uh, a couple months ago, I guess. And uh, they talked about how at the end of every week, they got to go in and clean up all these picks that somehow never happened, never were executed in the pick pick the light system. And I'm not quite sure why that is, but it just wouldn't happen with the way we're approaching things because we would be aware of that. It probably is a waiting on a replenishment or whatever. The problem is the pick the light vendor doesn't do replenishment. The WMS vendor right. doesn't. So you've got these, you know, kind of silos going on here and, and there's a, a lot of opportunity. And, and, and in terms of that integration platform, we think this is especially true for mobile robots. You know, people are using the mobile software of the mobile robots but what that does is it limits, you know, again, sort of the level of the, the total optimization that can be achieved. But more importantly, you're now totally dependent on that robot software. And what if you want to add different robots or what if you want to change horses three years from now or, you know, there's a better, better mousetrap or it's faster. It's, you know, whatever that happens to be. Now you can become locked in. So we think the market really needs is a, you know, a mobile robot and, and broader, op, op, uh, broader automation of uh, integration platform, almost like an operating system for, for automation in, in the warehouse, that's going to allow you to have visibility to an optimization of robots of different kinds from the same manufacturer, of different types for different manufacturers. So you're not locked in. It's like a plug and play type environment here of three years from now. You can keep the robots you have if you want, keep the 10 that you bought, but now you want to add five more from a different vendor, plug them into this operating system and, and have instant connectivity and the ability to optimize the performance. We just think that's the much more low-risk approach going forward than locking yourself into a vendor today. That's coming the software that's coming from the robot vendor. Yeah, and I think you know, there's we get back to the idea of a smart warehouse. It's all about throughput. If I have uh, different systems with it that are connecting that are doing local optimums, that's a problem because it's it's not supporting throughput. So I always need that one, I'll call it the one source of truth. That's the the main system to say, this is all about getting stuff out the door here. And yeah, so- I, I wanted to bring up just one. I, I think I, early in the broadcast, I talked about uh, wanting to uh, give an example with the pool walls. We talked about pool walls several times now, but again, I, I referenced that the whole key is to turning over those pool walls. Well, here's the kind of scenario that we're, the cubby holes in the pool walls. Here's the kind of scenario we're seeing where, let's say there's a three line item e-commerce order. And two of those line items on the order come from a carton flow rack area that's very close to packing. Meaning those orders are efficient to pick and short distance to transport. So if you don't do anything else, and the third line item is actually coming from a slow moving mezzanine pick area. It's farther away and is less efficient to pick. So if you don't do anything otherwise, what's going to happen is those first two items from that order are going to show up rather quickly. And then they're going to sit and wait and wait and wait. They're going to wait 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 45 minutes, whatever it happens to be for that third item on the on the on the pick uh, the order to finally show up. And you have, that cubby hole has been tied up that entire time. What's the smarter warehouse way of doing it? What's the WES way of doing it? It would be to recognize that difference. Let's say it's 25% slower to go through the mezzanine or whatever the number you want to use is. We would release just that third light item in effect 25 or 30% earlier. And then after the time it takes to pick and transport that as it's on its way to the pack station, now we release the other two orders, line items, just for the uh, in the carton flow rack. And so voila, they show up at the pull wall for processing at relatively the same time. And now I'm able to turn that wall without the, without the uh, latency 
that uh, would occur if you didn't have smart software to do that. So hopefully that's an example that makes it, you know, somewhat clear as to how the optimization really can affect operational performance. You would never be able to get that done manually. It just doesn't happen. Man, this is like drinking from a fire hose. So this is so much going on in this. So Dan, put a bow on this bad boy. Give us your final thoughts on this. What do I need to get to have that smart warehouse? Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, it's, it's, it's provides a ton of, of, of benefits. It's going to reduce labor costs. You're going to have higher and more consistent DC throughput. You're going to reduce your need for automation uh, in terms of things like the number of diverts or get more throughput out of the automation that you have there. We didn't talk much about labor planning today, but that's a big part of it. You can dynamically uh, assign workers throughout the course of a, a shift from one hour to eight to nine, nine to 10, 10 to 11, where they needed most and what quantities. Improved automated decision-making, we talked about all that. So, you know, it's really just an assessment. And uh, certainly if you're heavily automated, there's a lot of opportunities for you. But as I tried to make the point earlier, even if you're only modestly automated or not automated at all, these things, these capabilities can have some real benefit for your operations. I think the important thing to note, at least with SoftCan, is these can be implemented very incrementally. So I could implement a traditional WMS. And let's say I just want the labor planning and allocation part of it. So I just talked about a second ago, we can take that capability from WES and just, if you will, attach it to the WMS to give you a solution. Conversely, if you want to implement WES and leave your existing WMS in, in place, we didn't talk much about that today, but that's a key dynamic. But you need cartonization, which is a warehouse management function. You can just attach, if you will, cartonization to that WES implementation. So flexibility is key. That's what we try to design. We call it a shared component library that the applications can borrow components and functionality and services from each other. And, uh, you know, we're pretty confident that uh, it gives us a chance to, uh, to understand what you're trying to accomplish, what your operations like or whatever, that uh, some combination of these technologies are going to have a pretty good fit and, and really take your warehouse, you know, in, you know, to a whole new level than we've seen over the last 20 years. Excellent. Excellent. Well, man, it has changed a lot. So, Dan, what's new over at Softian? What conferences are you guys going to? What's what's new over at? Yeah, so we just got done with the Modex show a few weeks ago, and uh, it was a big success for us. We uh, not only showed uh, the smart warehouse, uh, taught, you know, kind of presented the, the smart warehouse capabilities. We actually had a lot of equipment, pit wall, pick wall, put, put the uh, pick to light other tech, uh, packing stations, et cetera, in our, right in our booth. And uh, every bottom of every hour, we uh, did a presentation that had consistently good uh, traffic the whole time. And then we actually did a, uh, they have an educational track. We actually did a, a uh, session on the smart warehouse of the future, available from Softion today. It was very well attended. So that was good. We'll be at the Gartner uh, Supply Chain uh, Symposium. Uh, I think it's early June down in, uh, down in Orlando, and then kind of a break uh, after that. But uh, we just finished up a uh, series of broadcasts, educational broadcasts called the WMS Bootcamp, six different sessions of everything from uh, building the business case to how to implement successfully. It was a huge success, but all that's now available on demand. If they go out to softion.com, you'll be able to find some links to that. And I think if you have any interest in WMS uh, anytime soon or even midterm, this will be the non-commercial educational sessions. I think you'll find they had a lot of value. The feedback we got on it was, was outstanding. Dan, what I'll do is I'll put a link to those. If you give me the link to those uh, WMS Bootcamp, I, th- I would like to watch it myself because I think this you know, we just went over this and it is gone from simple to just more complex over time to, and you know, you guys are simplifying it, but to understand what's required is, is, uh, requires a boot camp. 
Well, there's just a lot of, you know, we've learned a lot of lessons over time. And I brought in some consultants and people that I knew really knew what they were talking about in terms of like, you know, building a business case. We had some folks from Invista that came on and did that. And I just had some experience or exposure. I knew they knew what they were talking about. Uh, some of that applies to some other consultants as well. So it's a real nice series. It's non-commercial. Uh, if you want to, you know, learn some tips about how to get WMS selection and implementation right, I think you'll find the boot camp uh, serves you well. So how do we reach out and talk to you over at Softion? Yeah, the easiest way to uh, get to me is just uh, via email. My email address is just dgilmore, G-I-L-M-O-R-E, at softion.com. You can also use contact at softion.com for just the general inquiry box. But uh, love to hear from you. Uh, hopefully it came across that I at least know a little bit about what I'm talking about. And uh, we'd love to discuss your problems as well. Yep. And what I'll do is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile and also a link to Softion's website. And uh, anyone who wants to reach out can reach out and talk to you about the smart warehouse. Thanks, Joe. I really enjoyed it. It was a great conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dan. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, Onward and Upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.